Spoiler alert, Slash the Paradise encourages viewers to watch these horror films before listening to our show. Danny and Lance will go through everything, including filmmaking, dialogue, characters, and even full scene breakdowns when we get excited. Enjoy the show. What's wrong, Lance? I'm just, just feeling kind of off, Danny. Yeah? Yeah. Hmm. Let's see if we can figure this out. Don't, don't put me in the computer. Lance, the computer, don't lie. Oh, no. What? What does it say? It says you're a dead fuck. A dead fuck? Yeah. The computer, don't lie. So stop being a dead fuck, Lance. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Slash's Paradise. You've guessed it. It's Friday the 13th, part four. The final chapter? Question mark? Question mark? Could you imagine if the there's end? only four Friday the 13th movies? Oh, man. So our intention was to end it on this one. Well, the popular demand or the people were not going to let it happen. They were definitely not going to let Jason die. The reason is they loved it. Yeah. They loved this, this shit. It is, I don't know. You can't, I'm going to try and I read a tweet from someone in the horror community that said, screw naming things guilty pleasures. You like the movie? You like the freaking movie. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with All that. All about that. Yes. So like calling something is a guilty pleasure is like downplaying your taste or that or the movie itself. You don't have to. You just like it, you know. Uh, Jesus jumping Christmas. That's all <laughs> I have to say about that. So these movies, Lance, are very popular. Yes. That's why they're coming out almost every year since the original. Yeah, like consecutively. They film them within a few months of the release of the, the last film. And we are here in 1984, a total continuation of Friday the 13th, part three, which was one of my favorites of all time. Yes. You brought every, you brought the rain on that one. We had a great 80 soundtrack on oh, yeah. top of the original soundtrack. Oh, yeah. We had tons of stylized everything, gore, horror, everything. We finally got Jason's hockey mask. Just a beautiful, beautiful movie. And we're continuing on with the next day. Again, Friday the 13th. Remember, it came out on Friday the 13th, mm -hmm. but technically takes place on like Friday the 14th and the 15th. So this movie lands on Friday the or Sunday the this 16th is, I think, and 17th. This is technically already Monday and or Tuesday. It's Sunday into Monday. All these movies are continuing the day after, right. essentially. Yes. Which is, you know, I, I mean, that's been... It's kind of fun. Uh, this is the last time, however, you are going to get a recap in the beginning of the movie. Of right. The previous installments. Yeah, because it's supposed to be final chapter. This is supposed to be it. So we're tying them all together. This is number four. And there's something there's something about this because and we'll get into it in a second. People came back to do this one. And there's just something kind of special and fun about this. Before oh, it is so special, Lance, because <laughs> you said this about three. Allow me to go on record, ladies and gentlemen, and say that this is my favorite Friday the 13th installment of the entire franchise. Friday the 13th Part 4, the final chapter, is my absolute favorite and, in my opinion, the best of the franchise. Okay. Because I think we can agree, you and I can agree that Friday the 13th should equal Jason. No? Yes. So if anybody's paying attention, I did give the original five machetes because yeah. I believe that. I yep. believe that the original is a fantastic movie. It's a trendsetter. Absolutely. So 
you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out how I feel about this movie and what my machetes might be at the end of this episode. But I think if you're grading the best of the franchise, Friday the 13th has to have Jason. Okay. I just yeah. think. No, I believe. I believe I the think. same. Yeah. And you could say, but Jason is a boy drowning in the lake in the original. Yes, but remember... At this point, we don't make any goddamn sense. <laughs> We've jumped the shark. We have jumped the shark completely. <laughs> they realize that Jason is wanted as far as the killer. Yes. The hockey mask. They, The producer said that they wanted to cover his face. They wanted to mask him somehow because I think that you can tell that same story over and over again about the unknown assailant shot from the waist down or mm-hmm. sorry, the neck down. And all these things, you can only do that so so much. Right. You know, I mean, the slasher movies are evolving at this point to where, of course, you see Michael Myers, you see him in the mask, you see other mask killers. They want that. So they always had the intention to mask Jason. I think that the hockey mask just kind of happened and they were pretty, very excited about it. Pretty much. Yeah. And what you ended up doing was making an icon. Let's take care of business before we get too far in. Danny, yes. give us our pumpkin spice latte for Friday the 13th, part four, the final chapter. Friday the 13th, part four, the final chapter. Pumpkin spice latte by Danny Gonzalez. This movie consists of a group of friends who are going on a camping trip up by Camp Crystal Lake. They're not counselors. They're just a group of friends going to cut a rug, kick it old school, let their young selves happen. And they are also joined by a family that is staying adjacent to their cabin. And while they're there, they are stalked by a known assailant, (laughs) the resurrected and or maybe not dead the entire time, Jason Voorhees, who has come back to wreak havoc again because as we know he is very territorial about his lake and the surrounding areas if you're being promiscuous this is what happens so that is friday the 13th part four survive the night survive jason or don't all right our breakdown for the movie it was released on april 13th yes that's a friday the 13th of 1984 our budget was 1.8 million dollars we made box office 32 plus million almost 33 million just nice just shy a little bit less than the last one but not too far off uh ted white was our jason of Mm. yeah our oldest jason ever uh the movie stars eric anderson judy aronson yes peter bard i pause just for danny on that one kimberly beck tom everett Corey feldman and crispin glover Corey feldman and crispin glover can you imagine that we are talking about real real 80s royalty and you know how i feel about 80s royalty lance yes i have gushed about winona Ryder, and when winona Ryder and sean astin were in stranger things season two i could not handle myself that's lydia and mikey <laughs> dating each other yes what a what a moment we have not only mouth from the goonies <laughs> not only do we have Corey feldman Edgar Frog himself, but we also have. It's like an emotional time for Danny right now. We have George McFly. I mean, are you kidding, Lance? 
Uh, no, Danny. Lance, are you kidding me? This is right before. This is the launching point for both of them. And a personal favorite of mine and yours as well, Judy Aronson. Oh, yes. From Weird Science. She's one of the girls. That I did the, not know that. Dude. You did, like, I mean, I did not ever make that connection. Like, I love. I love the characters in both movies. I did not know it was the same girl. And now I'm even more infatuated with her. So thank you, Danny. You're welcome. Um, Look, guys, (laughs) I don't want to talk about your shit, but at the same time. It was early. It was early in the podcast. But at the same time, Phoebe Cates, Judy Aronson, they got me through a a lot of cool times. (laughs) Cool times. In my my life. They weren't confusing times they weren't disgusting times it's a natural coming of age sort of you know stuff thing in the life of somebody okay. those two specifically god bless them forever so judy aronson is in this movie and she's one of the friends we're not going to call them counselors because no. they're just a group of kids that's teenagers what, that's yet again missing is the counselors that's yeah. so synonymous with jason and friday the 13th but you're right just one of the one of the teens yeah so there's like it's not that far of a departure yeah. from the camp element because it is kind of still present, even though you don't call them counselors. You're still having a group of kids who are identified in some way. They 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 all fit a mold. Yeah. So Crispin Glover is like the oddball and the you know the eccentric of the group. Right. There's a Ted who hmm. is the cocky yet, you know, thinks a lot of himself but really isn't. Yeah, uh, we have Samantha, who's played by Judy Aronson, who is the she's the eye candy. She's the loving, confident in her body self. Yep. Uh, Paul, her boyfriend. Paul, her boyfriend, who's a bit of a shithead. Yeah. Forever. Unfortunately, let me tell you something real quick before I continue with these friends about Paul. I just gushed. Well, not just, but in part two, I gushed <laughs> about an amazing Paul. Yeah. This mother. Paul <laughs> is a piece of caca. Yeah. You do not. I am quite sorry. You do not get to just play fast and loose because with Judy Aaron's Samantha, she's head over heels for Paul. Yeah. And he's just out there trying to see what's going on. Trying to, you know, they meet a they meet Quite literally, twins, Basil, twins, twins. They meet the Doubleman twins in <laughs> Doubleman. <laughs> <laughs> they meet the twins, and there's these two girls, you know, and they they kind of they dress them very funky. There is some really big wardrobe choices in this movie. Let me just say, yeah, 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 I'll agree with that. Yeah, um, yeah, I, you're right though. We're hitting on all the characters. First of all, we got to hit our slash word, Danny. What, oh, sure. What is slash word in Slasher's Paradise? Slash word is a horror version the slasher's paradise version of the popular game password whereas whenever you hear the slash word spoken please take a drink of your favorite favorite beverage of choice uh whether it be a blue hawaiian as i mentioned a couple of times i've I, or Damn. a hurricane those you're, are fun you're pretty hot in blue hawaiians right now i had a really good blue hawaiian in vegas it kind of changed my life but you know what i realized why i can't have them that much it's all sugar of course it tastes good. yeah yeah or beer or water or nothing or something. Have a drink when you hear the slash word. Yes. And every time we have the slash word, we have a special guest calling into Slasher's Paradise to give the slash word for all of you listeners out there. So today, giving the slash word, Danny, who is it? Well, 
<laughs> he doesn't do a lot of call-ins and or fan stuff, but the Slasher's Paradise, we can get whoever we want. Yeah, exactly. So we're getting George McFly himself. Oh, my goodness. We're getting Crispin Glover in the version <laughs> of, what's his uh, character's name? Is Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy. Jimmy is calling in with the Slash word. <laughs> okay. Jimmy, Crispin Glover, whatever George I call McFly you, George McFly. The, yeah. uh, go ahead, you're on the line. What is the slash word of the night? Um, hello, everyone. The slash word is dead. Like dead fuck. It it's good. All right, thank you. <laughs> Thank getting back so to much. horror's royalty, man. <laughs> getting back to horror's ro- horror royalty. Okay, and there are a couple of more uh, characters who fit some, I guess, stereotypes of, you know, you got the goody two shoes or the little bit more conservative, uh, modest character in the, um, and her name is Sarah, right? Yes. And there's one more, Doug, right? Yeah. And Doug is like the uh, nice guy. He's a little bit more soft-spoken. He's going to try and win the affections of Sarah. And that's pretty much all the friends. But let's get back to, I mentioned that there was a family adjacent to the friends. Yes. You have Corey Feldman, who's playing Tommy Jarvis. Jarvis. Hold on, let me hit that one again. Tommy Jarvis. That was another good name, man. Jarvis. That's another... You know how you say, I said in horror movies, if you say a name specifically or yeah. the right way, they just flow. Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. Very scary. Yeah. You know, Sam Loomis. It has a nice ring to it, right? Jason Voorhees. Tommy Jarvis, who ends up being pretty much the most consistent counterpart or, you know, opposite Mm-hmm. hero against yeah. jason in the series yeah. he's introduced in this in this yeah, uh, part. He's, he's probably the only other name away from jason Voorhees that automatically makes me think of friday the 13th and and the whole franchise like you can mention any other character's name but tommy jarvis jason Voorhees are synonymous to me you know what i mean, I mean there are final girls there, there are, are def- there are final girls uh, and if we're being quite honest you have to look at the franchise in a in a little bit of a different way. My opinion, you should look at the franchise in basically two parts. One through four mm-hmm. is one part. And then five and beyond is, mm. I guess, another part. Mm. Maybe you could go five, six, seven, and eight I'll together. Go, I'll go six, seven, and eight or another okay. chapter. But just because, but they do try to, anyway. The point being, one through four should be held together or held separately yes it's an it because it is a consistent story this is the last time the days have gone uh sequentially or or uh yeah. chronologically yeah and jason's evolution kind of hits an end at this point and then kind of restarts into something else yeah after this i mean i think we found a really nice jason in part three at the end of part three uh with chris giving him the axe to the head yeah i do appreciate that there is that sort of continuity with the mask uh for the most part mm-hmm. uh nothing's worse than when you know they're like well his eyes were shot out in the hospital and he bled from them. Why can he see now? Anyway, (laughs) the point is that Jason 
is definitely, I think, in my opinion, his best form in this one. I will pretty much agree. I, I think he's a very natural evolution from three and three is my favorite. Obviously mm -hmm. we mentioned that already, but he's in a very natural evolution watching it again. I kind of forgot that he has the same outfit. It's, it's a direct continuation. Oh, yeah. He looks very similar as he did to three. Yeah. Uh, you've, you've set horror royalty so many times already in this episode. We got to talk about the fact that Tom Savini is back. Yes. They, in Friday the 13th, the franchise, they pitched it to him. You were the basically father of Jason. He's mm -hmm. the one that created the boy in the lake sort of. I mean, he created what Jason looked like as a boy. You created Jason, come back and kill him, basically. And he jumped at it. So Tom Savini is back. Ted White, we'll talk about for a quick second, who does play Jason, is uh, he is the oldest to play Jason. But you can't really. I mean, maybe you can, but I really can't. I think he kills it as Jason. No pun intended. Yeah. He is a veteran stunt actor, uh, has credits with John Wayne of all. I mean, like I can list a bunch, but that was you see a still of him mm. with, you know, next to John Wayne being in a movie as a, as a stuntman. So just a seasoned pro and some of the stories from behind the scenes and during the production of him are just, they're the, there are the stuff of legend. They're the stuff that a seasoned actor who's, there's just something about being able to be a professional, but you're doing goofy shit. Yeah. You are a serial killer. You're masked up. But you approach it as a business and that's what you're hired to do. I don't know. I just I think that there's just something so cool about that personally. No, yeah, I, I get it. And when you bring that amount of professionalism, it definitely translates on the screen. And this Jason in particular really translates on the screen as every time you see him, he's very intimidating. He's a big hulking dude, yep. but he's got a purpose. Uh, the one thing I will say about this film uh, and Jason is you do not get a whole lot of him in the beginning. I think it's a good hour before you start to really see the man in action. You know what I mean? Like we, we will see some deaths here and there, but to actually see Jason in action, you don't see it until at least an hour in. And that's another thing. We just saw Jason in part three. We saw a bunch of him. Yeah. Why not let us see him from the get go? Well, I think that they were taking this approach and the producers did say, this is it because they're getting slammed. Yeah. They're getting slammed by the critics. They're not, they're getting slammed in a good way in the box office. They're making a lot of money right. off these installments, but they are basically like the smut porn of the movie industry. Yeah. Even though that's a form of movie. But the point is, is that they are so, they are being raked across the coals every time a new movie comes out. So the producers are like, let's just move away from this. Make this the end. Kill Jason off. That's it. And for the most for most of the intention that was uh, starting this movie, they even had a, their stills of them having a cake like Happy Death Day, Jason and stuff right. like that. Yeah. They wanted to kill him off, but as you know, they didn't. They could only kill him off so much. And, you know, it's all about money. You make a lot of money. Why not keep making more? You're listening to Dead Candy. 
dedicated entertainment for the dead. Hola, ghoulos! It's me, Raul El Ghoul. And I'm coming to you to ask you, follow me on El Instagrams at Raul El Ghoul or in Espanol at Raul El Ghoul. Anyway, I am the newest creature feature ghost host with the most. I know all the things of is spooky things and that's the story I'm sticking to it. If you want to laugh, you can come there too. Because if I wasn't called El Ghoul, I'd be called Raul El Funny. Follow me on El Instagrams at Raul El Ghoul. Hey, when it comes to ghosts, hosts, and spooky stuff, you could do a lot worse than Raul. But it doesn't get much better. <laughs> Don't be a stupid. Be a gulo. Adios. Uh, the the one thing as I was watching this again, I was realizing like 1984, this is like got to be the height of Fangoria and Savini. And I mean, he just shows off oh, in this yeah. thing, especially through Tommy Jarvis's character, who is just kind of a jack of all trades for like what a 10, 11 year old boy. Yes. <laughs> you know, like he knows everything. He's making masks on his own, which are fucking amazing. That's like I have to talk about how ridiculous that as a plot is you live out in the country and I know that they are okay. So about the, we, I kind of glossed over it. The family that's living nearby is Tommy Jarvis, Trish, who's his uh, sister mm-hmm. and Mrs. Jarvis. So it's a mom and her two kids and they are living and Trish is older. She's as old as the, at least the kids who came to party across the yeah. way. So Tommy is you know, a young boy and Mrs. Jarvis has uh, recently separated from her husband. So they're doing this sort of thing where I guess they're going to go and live out in the country. And it's funny to me that a kid who has limited means, you know, he's a whiz, <laughs> right. but he's just making these outlandish, crazy, complicated masks and effects and like there's even deleted scenes where he made like bl- it's all tom it's tom yeah. it's him he said yeah. like you said it, it's him as a kid so i think that that was what was another part and i always appreciate learning that the filmmakers that's why it's plural because yes you have a director and the director's you know awesome and he did a great job uh joe zito i mm-hmm. believe and you have, but you, but you hear how he was given, or they all came to a end or a understanding, and within each other. So Tom was con- con- contributing, contributing uh, a lot to it, and of course the producer, and you know, it's just it's just cool stuff like that to hear that everyone really had some sort of a you know input. So. I really appreciate that because not a lot of directors like that shit, man. They're like, this is my ship. I am the pilot. I am the captain. You go down with me or we set sail together and go to Tortuga and raid the village. Yeah, there's something that's a little more bare bones about this compared to three, where three had all the rock and roll in the beginning. It had the 3D effects. This one seems more like a labor of love where a lot of people kind of came back and were like, all right, let's finish this great thing that we did. We've you know, brand, there's so many other slasher movies that branched off because of us. We are part of the era. We've made our 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 statement. 
let's move on. This is a little more bare bones compared to three. There's no 3d effects. There's, there's not all the, the funky synthetic music. Um, it's not quite as cheesy. At least Jason doesn't play into the cheesiness as much. It's a little darker. It's a little more, uh, to the root of Friday the 13th. I totally agree. I do feel that there is a bigger budget feel to it, though, because of the way it opens. Mm-hmm. You know, it opens with that big crane shot. There's you know, helicopter, all that stuff. Me saying bare bones is not is not taking away from the production of it. Sure. It's just the extras that three had. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, the three had that sort of gag, sort of real, yeah, right. not real, but gag enticement of the 3D and all that stuff. I do agree with you that it went back to its root. Um, I do also feel that the rock and roll is definitely present here <laughs> oh, as no. we may, as you may see in the movie when you do watch it, folks, rock and roll is definitely happening with these kids, especially with Crispin Glover oh, yes. and Jim, Jimmy, who is the eccentric just went through a breakup. Ted is his friend. Um, they really bonded off set. They, they say that you could really see that, that there is a nice normal camaraderie between the two and ted is trying to give jimmy advice on his recent breakup that was what we were trying to do in the beginning where i typed it into the computer anyway uh jimmy's over here feeling sorry about himself saying that he gave his girlfriend all the love and attention that she wanted and she left him why because he's a dead fuck so that just means he's terrible in the sack yes well It turns out that Ted, the cocky little shit that he is, isn't as quite as good with the ladies as he thinks he is. Crispin Glover's character, Jimmy, ends up being totally a ladies man with just being himself. And let me just say, in this movie is the best improvised 100% his own creation of a dance by Crispin Glover (laughs) dancing to... On set, they say it was ACDC or whatever, but they then put in the song is by Lion and it's called Love is a Lie, mm-hmm. as we all know. <laughs> anyway, uh, and he just destroys it. It is worth <laughs> your time, folks, to watch this movie just for that. That plays, Lance, into why I love this movie so much. You cannot. It's between Shelley being himself and Crispin Glover's dance as the X factor for three and four, which is why I think they kind of go back and forth (laughs) in my own version. And right now, as I'm mentioning that he is cutting the goddamn rug up. Oh my God. And apparently he, this was one of his dances. He was known for going to clubs in town and dancing like this. This is all Crispin Glover. This is, you know, 100% what he does. This, this dance is synonymous with the franchise as well. This is something that is all over the internet. You can find it pretty easily. It's hilarious. Again, it makes more sense that he's dancing to the ACDC versus right. the, the music that they chose. But, but just, I think that the director made a really good point when he said we could have put any damn song on yes. there and he would have done that exact same thing. Exact this same just dance, a, yes. You can see already the writing on the wall for Crispin Glover. He is going to march to the beat of his own drum. He is going to be one of those actors, but he's going to give you amazing, amazing performances. And you know what? That's, I guess, synonymous with these genius actors or these, you know, actors that, like I said, march to the beat of their own drum or are, they don't fall in with the crowd, but when they're on, man, 
they're freaking on. Yes. And again, we're getting a cast of characters that are likable for the most part. They do jump deeper into, I think from one on, they develop their characters a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I think this was what the critics who uh, all of them hate it, but they did say to the power of, or to the accomplishment of this movie, they at least made characters that you felt bad that they would die. Yeah. They're a little more relatable. You you sink in more to the relationships and, you know, stealing the relationship or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Screw Paul, dude. You have Samantha is a, is cute as a button. Yeah. She's just so adorable in this movie, man. She's just, I could just see myself at this cabin with these people. And if I was, you know, in that, maybe he's just a young kid. Maybe I'd need to cut him some slack. That, yeah. They, it's just, what what is it about young kids, right? They're just going to, you know, they're going to be young. They're going to, they're going to, fly off the seat of their pants. They're going to make decisions that are stupid. So as I said, that these Doubleman twins uh, make their way into this crew, into this group of friends, and they kind of have this little party at the house where Crispin is dancing with one of them, and Teddy is... By the way, as far as pickup lines go, this one's awful from Ted. So Ted has an actual teddy bear, Mm -hmm. sits next to a girl, gets his teddy bear, shows it to the girl, and says, Teddy bear... Want to give Teddy Bear a kiss? Because he's saying that he's Teddy. Anyway, that yes. it just never works. They just laugh at his face. But in, in any case, I just, I feel bad for these decisions. Not that it would have helped them survive the movie, meaning Paul no. and or Samantha. They're going to die. Jason's going to get them. But it's the, wouldn't you like to be nice on the way out? <laughs> Before you die, and to to his credit, oh no, he doesn't totally give in. Right, not totally. Like the one of the the twin that comes on to him really comes on hard to him, I and understand. he's like, oh shit. But look, dude. Okay, look how cute Samantha's being. She knows that one of the twins wants her man, and they're trying to shotgun a beer, and they're failing miserably. Yeah, at and look at his like, oh shit, we're having a good time. I I'm. What do you want? What do you want for your award? Oh, you want to dance with me? Oh, shit. This is not good. (laughs) It's the idea of trying to shoot your creepy shot while everyone is literally one one foot away from you. They are on his. Look how uncomfortable he is, though. Like, oh, so why even do it? I'm not defending him by any means. This is not a defense. This is a he does not go full on and. I think maybe I'm being a little bit more just because Judy Aronson is so cute. Yeah, and she's you know your what? fave. All right, guys. When I say that Phoebe Case and Judy Aronson were there for me in a very interesting time <laughs> is because uh, if you watch Weird Science, you know, she's cute. Uh, Weird Science is definitely rated PG, I, I believe. But not this movie. <laughs> She, Samantha, is very gratuitous with her nudity. And uh, yeah, look, they have to realize and they did realize who is lining up to watch these movies. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of teen kids, a lot of young adult men and maybe weird date nights if you want a subject. You know, it's it's just weird to gun it. Let's go, you know, watch this and see how these kids get chopped up and if they're naked while doing it and stuff like that. But. 
there is a core audience and they tapped into it and they had money and they showed up to watch these movies. If I was old enough, I would have been doing it too. That's why I got them on VHS when they, when I was old enough Yeah, or maybe not. And this movie up until this point has the most nudity and the most gore that actually, you know, was released. Is that true? Yeah. Up until this point. So oh, okay. Yes. No, not for the franchise, oh, yeah. oh, but not by any means. So, there are a few deaths, needless to say, <laughs> in this movie. I think there are a couple that stand out more so to me. Some really hurt. I remember I talked about Mark yes. in part two really hurting my feelings. Yes. <laughs> Your feelings, yes. Mark getting a machete to the face hurt my feelings to the core. There is a death in here, and I'm sorry this is going to turn into the Judy Aronson show, <laughs> but it's now I'm going to gush about the actor's portrayal and how accomplished she was in this part. So Paul, you know, spurns her or whatever. And she decides that she's, you know, I'm just going to go take a swim and, you know, cool off. Cause she's about to rip one of these. But she's face so off. hopeful that he's going to come looking for her. And you know what? He should. And he does, but maybe he comes and looks for her a little too late. Yes. So the point is she goes skinny dipping because that's definitely how they've decided they're going to swim during this <laughs> yeah, the vacation. Whole week, yeah. yes. Oh, oh, we don't have any suits. The way Crispin says it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you don't have a suit. Uh, go ahead and strip and dip. So she swims out to the raft that is definitely anchored because if not, it would be already on the shore because that's how water works. <laughs> that's how water works. <laughs> that's how water works. So she swims out to the raft and gets in there and she's completely vulnerable. As an actor, I can see that this would be very difficult to do and kudos to her and her ability. But it was revealed through Ted White that they're shooting in January. That water and if they're shooting in California is freezing, not cold, freezing. So not only is Ted White having to perform this kill underwater and grab her and everything but she is in there very naked Ex except for a part where the actual because he gets a i think it's a harpoon mm -hmm. and stabs her from under the raft through her chest lower back it is so uncomfortable to watch because you're seeing this girl who is just has her whole life ahead of her and <laughs> Yes, I'm in love with her. Sorry. But anyway, it's it's not that. It's how she dies, man. He grabs her, starts sticking the harpoon through her lower back, and it's her choice as an actor of the noise mm -hmm. that she's making while dying. Yes. Oh, it's gut-wrenching. Hers and Jimmy's, Crispin Glover's reaction to death, bar none, some of the best acting as far as dying I've seen to this point. Right. I don't know. I guess Crispin Glover's would be the closest one. We've mentioned iconic deaths. The ones that we think about every time we think about the franchise. Yours is Mark yes. from part two mm -hmm. in the wheelchair. Mine is Andy, the handstand chop in half. Correct, yes. I don't know if this one totally has it. Uh, I feel like the timing of the way it was shot for her was, uh, it just kind of missed the scare a little bit. I feel that. You know, I, also, I feel for the character and I'm sure. like, damn it, not her. You know, why, yeah. why was she the first one to go? It's I'm so unfortunate. Um, Minus the hospital staff. Right. Yeah. But of, of the, you know, the crew that were kind of following. But I do I do think that you have a, a big point here. And you mentioned this in one of the previous pods. It's because it's not 
as far as the MPAA goes, mm-hmm. Motion Picture Association of America, who dole out ratings, they are strict not about how they die. Right. It's the reaction. It's the reaction. I've ne- I've, that is so interesting to learn. And I'm so glad you brought that up because that's what you see getting cut out of these scenes. Yes. You see the reactions to death. And maybe as an actor, you take that as a badge of honor. I was so convincing that they needed to cut me out because right. Shelly's death is there 100% because it is one of the worst <laughs> active deaths in Friday 13th history. Yes. When you say reaction it is the reaction to their own death, getting stabbed, having their neck slashed and what their face does after that is almost 100% of the time cut or cut to like a two second, like, eh, okay, I'm dead. And we cut away from it. Uh, we mentioned it with scream was kind of where I started to learn that was uh Kenny, the cam- cameraman. Yes. They had to cut a huge chunk of his scene because his throat gets slashed and his face, the reaction to his own death is so horrendous that oh they had to gosh. cut it. And that was in 1996. That's, you know, uh, 12 years after this. Well, I think what's happening nowadays, especially is that, once they make it to home video, you're definitely given the option of the uncut and or unrated version. Like those are just happening now. Mm. It's such a shame that these full deaths were cut out permanently. Like you have to have the awesome box set that you have to even watch them. And even then the original sound incorporated is not there. So, you know, it's a shame because there is so much that is, I think lost in how much you feel for these characters. Yes. We're talking about a Friday the 13th. We're talking about slashing guts and tits and ass. And that is what these movies are. But at it's for lack of, you know, being Oscar contending movies, they at least get the part right that some of these actors really nail the emotion of dying yeah like, how would you feel what would you be going through of course it's not flattering you know i would be making the weirdest noises mm-hmm. you know i also we're talking about deaths I'll, i want you to talk about crispin glover then I'll, I'll talk about another one what do you want me to say about crispin glover his death I want to talk, talk about his death oh because well, you, you said it's it's probably the one that sticks out most for you yeah what, because what happens to it's it? not only the reaction to it but it's the sound i remember i mentioned this about the mark death is the oh, yeah. sound of the machete hitting a body yes it's not the you know shing, you know it's none of that right. it's this thud and it's like the bodily sound the sound of a body being hit mm. It's so realistic. That's what gets me. And it's right to his damn face. It it's is. a it's a cleaver, right? Yeah, it's a it's a butcher's cleaver or meat cleaver, whatever. Right, have. right to the face, right under the eyes. Like they they made a great choice on where to put this knife in his face. Like you get to see his whole face, you get to see his whole reaction. There's blood, there's everything, but it's the sound that always gets me with this yeah, one. Honestly, I mean, there's you can make the face of dying when you're like mouth is open or you do like the uh, 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 and nobody cares it's going to be kind of annoying but at this point when you see jimmy die when mm. you see samantha die even paul is if you, if you end up liking paul paul gets harpooned in the dick yeah, and he kind of deserved it right but it was, thank you there's yeah. there's some there's some karma instant karma for me at least yeah and the, the filmmakers even kind of mentioned that right like, that, yeah. that that's what you get you don't get to do that to judy aronson and just not die 
the worst way as far as. And it's one of those deaths for most men, at least maybe women, you feel this too, but it's the one that you feel physically. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You feel it. Yeah. You're like, Oh, okay. And it's a good surprise. But again, you don't see Jason in the death, you know, you barely see Jason in a lot of these kills. So there is, as mentioned before, a few continuity issues. Some things are just out of, it's pretty much a new filmmaker or filmmaking crew with besides like Tom Savini returning, but we have a interesting character in the form of Rob. Yes. Dyer deer. I think that's his last name. Anyway, introduced and he's introduced as this mountain man. He's got, (laughs) why is it a theme in Slasher's paradise? Well, because we always have a mountain man. Maybe we could call him a woodsman. There you go. Yeah. Like a hunt, a more of a huntsman because he's got the, he's got the machete. Yes. He's got the backpack Mm -hmm. he's got a rifle. And he actually says when, you know, he helps a Tommy and Trish, a Tommy and Trish, he helps Tommy Tommy and Trish start their car up. And he's kind of questioned a little bit as they give him a ride after he helps him start the car. What is he doing there? And he says he's hunting. And what's, I love this part because it's such an awkward moment for me. When I watched this movie, I was pretty much as old as Tommy. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why I think I could relate this much because Tommy is in his room and trying to go to sleep. And across, he can see Samantha and Paul kind of making out. She's got her top off. You know, mm-hmm. something's going to happen. Yeah. And he starts having a fit, a, <laughs> yeah. a, an excited fit because he's definitely in that time of his life where boobies and he even says that Corey Feldman says that he's like that was my inspiration boobies right and he's like you know kicking around and like being this like kind of funky kid so it's like I can relate to that kid when I was that old the worst absolute worst thing was to question an adult oh yeah if you question shut up you know nobody hit me that hard but it was just like you just didn't you know what I'm saying so Rob is in the car trish is driving tommy's in the back and rob is yeah what are you what are you doing around here trish asks him and rob says i'm hunting what are you hunting for trish says and he's like a bear and tommy in the back because he's not only smart he's also a smart ass yeah (laughs) (laughs) just shits on this dude's plan (laughs) so heavily he's like you can't be hunting for bear he either means it like there's no bear here, there's bear here, but it's illegal, or you don't have the right equipment to hunt you for bear, right. or I also don't fucking believe you. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I just, that part kind of made me like, is Rob going to kind of lose it and like be like, shut up, you know, or right. anything like that? Because, you know, he's an adult. Yeah. But Rob kind of glosses over it, doesn't really listen to it, and he just kind of starts asking questions, right? Yeah. He's like... Uh, you know, is there anybody else up at the lake? Vacationers. And you're almost thinking, okay, why do you want to know? Right. And you have tools of death with you. Yeah. They, mm. There's this weird kind of thing where they start to kind of like point at Rob as like, is this a whodunit movie? Like, are we starting to play with this idea? Even like the way that Jimmy kind of tells uh, Teddy, like, stop telling me I'm a dead fuck. Like he gets very serious mm-hmm. and say, stop. I, like, don't say that anymore. There, there's this element of like a whodunit or is there going to be a different killer at the end? But you've already seen Jason, you know, that Jason's out there. Right. So are we pointing at Rob, maybe being Jason at this point. It's a weird kind of mix. I know. I think, I think it's in there as to 
be some sort of a red herring because not only Rob, you mentioned Jimmy, but Mrs. Jarvis. Yeah, that's had, true. And that one actually plays a lot more because you're thinking, hmm, we've seen the mom kill before. Right. We've seen yeah. the mom be the killer. Mm. Maybe there's some sort of a backstory. Maybe there's a down the line relation or whatnot. But I like that they played up with this, but you're right. If you're watching it, you're like, well, I actually saw Jason. I saw, right. the, I saw the fingernails. Yeah, I, you know? I've seen Jason multiple times. So why are you trying to play it like it's somebody else or it could be somebody else? It almost feels like they just have this idea for down the road. And like, well, let's play with the audience a little bit right. and see how this goes. But I mean, it just doesn't really make sense. I do like the red herrings because I remember watching it and always trying to fill in the blanks. Why is Mrs. Jarvis looking at him? Basically, the kids across the the road there. Why is she looking at him with such a disconcerting sort of like, you know, confused and mm-hmm. unapproved face, unapproving face? You know, what, right. what's her motivation? I've always kind of thought that that was, you know, nice. And you know what? There is. That's always going to be exciting about these movies, you know, to this point, there is no real formula. Anybody could be anybody. You could do whatever the hell you want. Hell, you brought a kid who was dead, but it was you really dead. But then why would the mom know if he, she didn't know? Did he drown or not? Yeah. All this bullshit that you injected <laughs> into these movies. You can do whatever the hell you want. You know what I'm That's saying? That's true. Yes, that is true. Uh, so we got Jimmy's kill. Very cool. Very, yeah. very hurtful. Um, Crispin Glover does an amazing Samantha Paul have already been offed one of the Doubleman twins just got thrown to the wall or to the window uh, she 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 gets stabbed by the spear harpoon thing but it's like a flash of lightning which is a really cool effect but we yeah. missed the kill we do miss the we, we miss again we don't see yeah. Jason do it we see the shadow of Jason make the kill which is you know not they I like that they try to make a really good movie because it kind of gets a little chop them up, spit them out sort of thing when you're just showing him do all these crazy kills. But they do get those in. Yeah. I, I was going to say, like, at what point did we need to recreate the wheel with Friday the 13th? You know what I mean? It seems like every right. movie, every movie is trying to do that. And you're like, why? I think five. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get to five, but Jesus. Uh, yeah, it just seems like to me, you were in the height of the Fangoria mid 1980s slasher flicks. This is, they're still successful at this point. It seems like we're trying to recreate the wheel very quickly. So I, I just didn't understand that, especially with Friday the 13th. Yeah, but, I, I, I get it. Um, you know, so many, too many cooks, a lot of chiefs, you know, sort of thing. I do appreciate though, everything that Tommy says when he's not having to be forced into defending Trish or himself Mm -hmm. at the end, when he's just being his normal self, he kills me. I already talked about him jumping up and down in the bed, like losing it because he's about (laughs) to see boobs. I different things like how his mom is just like, Oh, that's a new one. He has this elaborate alien mask on and she's just, Oh, that's a new one. Like, this kid should not be making these expert level things, but he is. And he's doing things like, you know, I need a patch. I love, we say that all the time. Now my mom and I, and anyone who likes these movies, if she's like, Hey, uh, you know, can you connect the TV or whatever? And if I don't have an HDMI cable, I'll just say, Oh, I don't have the patch cord. I'll just (laughs) use it, you know, because it's just always been fun, but just different things about Corey Feldman's portrayal. You heard about how he got the part, right? 
Uh, I don't remember. Well, he auditioned, obviously, right? Yeah. And the casting director fell in love with him. Mm-hmm. She was like, he's, he, I could see it already. He's going to be huge. There's just like a, she said there is a darkness behind him. She's like, not in a bad way, but in a, he never wanted to be outside of the movie set mm-hmm. of being with the actors. Yeah. And it was hard for him when they were making the movie because when they were done for the day, all the grownups were going out. I, I, I was him. I remember being like that, especially whenever I was at my uncle's house and we were cool all day. We we're having fun. We we're watching movies and all that stuff. And then at night he was going to go out with his friends and I was obviously young. And I just remember that feeling. So I could relate to Corey Feldman in that sense that that sort of darkness or sadness about I never want to stop playing, you know, comes from. Yeah. But the way when he auditioned, the his mom obviously took him. And his mom came back and said, so they like you. They think you're great, but they're concerned with how big you are. They thought he was too small because at the end of the movie, Tommy has to get a machete and hack Jason to the ever living shit. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) He has to hack Jason to pieces. And Corey Feldman says as an adult that when he was given this information, he goes, give me a machete. I'll show you. <laughs> Fucking Donatello. <laughs> he was, yeah. And they gave him a machete and he just like, he's like, did it. And it's just, they're rare. You know, these old souls that get trapped into these kids that yeah. can really portray these com- convincing parts. But that's a good way to put it because yeah. he just has something to him. I mean, mm-hmm. like we say, he's like nine, 10 in this point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he just has something so different and mesmerizing to him and special. Yep. And you really want to follow him. I think that's, I might even take the movie down a peg to me because I relate to the fact that there's a kid in this, you know? So there's something that makes it safe for me. Like they're not going to kill the kid automatically Yeah, in my head. Not that they can't, right? you know, a kid dying was how this whole thing started. Right. I just, well, or did it, you know, but well, sure. there's just something about, I remember I said about most of the Friday the 13th movies, they're filmed so much during the day that it makes mm. it an easy watch for me. Now you put a, a kid in the movie and it makes it an even easier watch for me. Well, I think definitely that's prevalent or rather evident throughout the series up to this point about it being during the day. This movie, I think, takes place mostly. I think they all kind of take place during the nighttime yeah. for a large chunk um, but you're right. There is a kind of like easy watch about it. But when they get to, to nighttime, I think that's what they all maintain when it's when it's the nighttime shit's about to go down. Yeah. And but but it doesn't have to be because he makes def- Jason definitely kills during the day, which, you know, is always a thing. If you're afraid of the dark. Right. You're like, well, the lights out. I could turn on the lights when I'm watching a scary movie. That means I'm OK. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. But what if you can also die during the day? There's something different too. Like we talked about in the original, the rain, the way the rain hits, there's a lot of rain in this one, but in the original, the rain is almost like a character in itself. It blows the doors open. There's wind. There's all this kind of stuff going on. This just kind of seems like it's in the background and it's like, everything's wet. And it doesn't add the amount of danger that the original one does to, for me at least. But as far as the misunderstood character of Jimmy, as we go back to Crispin Glover, <laughs> there course. is a nice redemption for him. He was told in the beginning, and you're maybe supposed to believe that he is, you know, the nerd. And, mm. ooh, nerd doesn't know how to 
make it with the girls. Well, he definitely gets the eye of one of the twins and she and him go upstairs and have sex. And she says that he was fantastic Mm -hmm. or incredible. She says, so he gets to come down and kind of gloat in Ted's face, which is a little bit of a boys club thing, but (laughs) he's totally feeling it and he's feeling himself. Yeah. I think this is the perfect time in your life. If you are going to die in a horror movie, You've just been given the seal of approval that you were awesome in bed. You are feeling good about yourself. And you ask for the goddamn corkscrew for the wine bottle. Ted. Hey, where's the goddamn corkscrew? And Jason corkscrews him straight through the freaking hand. Almost like. Here it is. Yes. I love that shit. Jason in his stupid self. I'm not saying he's stupid. He's actually pretty cunning for a woodsman. I love that part. <laughs> you want the corkscrew? Here the frick yeah. it is. I feel like that that was that has been played up quite a few times in other slasher films. Like, oh, you want it? Here it is in your head, exactly. in your hand, in your you know, in your body, <laughs> and you're dead from it. You know? I love that shit. Man. It, that was probably closest to the most iconic kill from this movie for me. Um, and of course, seeing Crispin Glover, who the next year goes on to do uh, Back to the Future and is oh George McFly. In this scene, I just told you this when he's calling for Ted and where's the corkscrew, he reminds me so much of George McFly. It's insane. He just delivers the line the exact same way he does as George, and it just cracks me up every time I hear it. Hey, Ted, where's that uh, fancy corkscrew for the wine bottle? Ted. Biff. <laughs> now, Biff, don't con me. I know uh, we're coming back to a point I'd already made about Rob. The continuity problem in this movie is that they made Rob this huntsman related to a character in a previous installment. Sandra. Sandra, who was in part two. She uh, was the victim of the double impalement after uh, having sex with her boyfriend. She's also the one with the boyfriend who got everyone in trouble, basically trespassed in part two. Right. But he's talking about how it happened years ago or like my, my, my sister Sandra was just a kid. Hmm. Maybe he said years ago, maybe I'm making that up. It just doesn't flow because this literally happened two days ago. Right. If, if this was your sister, she got killed two days ago. So you shouldn't be here on this quest. You should prop. I mean, that's just me. I don't think that there's a little bit of an issue. I don't think you have to do it. I think you could just not because like, but, but, but. Oh, sweet. Jesus. Yes. (laughs) yes. You're such a defender and I love it. Go. Well, because he's been in the news. Jason and Crystal Lake have been in the news the whole weekend, right? Yes. From two to three to four, he's been in the news and now they got the guy or something. You know, they, we think that he got the guy and he's the one that actually brings it to the table of he left the hospital. They don't, they don't have his body. Correct. Yes. So, it can make sense if you know that your sister's at Camp Crystal Lake and now Camp Crystal Lake is on the news for having a serial killer on the loose. What's so funny, though, to me <laughs> is how much the fashion, the hairstyles, there it is, and basically the technology changes from one to four, granted or given that the fact that it's supposed to be the third day after one. Like, seriously, you go from the... Uh, 
from early 80s, which has got a lot of 70s, yes. to this one, which is four years later in real time, but it's supposed to be days later. Hey, things move fast in the 80s. I believe uh, it was well, only a few months, but yeah. <laughs> part two from part one, I think, is like two months later, right? Because. Oh. But it's. Whatever. It's the same shit. Oh, yeah. yeah it's supposed to. Yeah. Okay. Well. In any case, there are definitely continuity issues, especially because like Jason being alive or is he or not or was right. he ever? anyway. Yes. So I'll tell you, man, I do really love this movie for a lot of reasons that I've already mentioned. I mean, when you're signing up to watch Friday the 13th movies, you're signing up for the crass stuff. Mm-hmm. You're also signing up for Jason himself. And we mentioned Jason. We mentioned Ted White. And I just have to talk about specifically this tidbit i learned about ted white which like makes him my favorite jason of all time and it honestly honestly it almost really (laughs) doesn't have to do with his performance it's everything about what happened when the cameras weren't rolling right i mentioned ted white was an amazing stuntman and a Mm -hmm. veteran and just hearing him talk about the movie itself it's just like you love hearing it well he's in that death scene with uh with uh judy aronson and it's freezing water. She, He's like, it's not cold water, yo. It's freezing water. He didn't say yo. But the point is, is that they're doing take after take after take because you have to do different shots. There's a dummy that, you know, body cast. And for the most part, she's naked under, submerged underwater, whether she's in the raft or not. So she's freezing. He's like, I'm a pro. I can do all this. But she is literally freezing mm-hmm. and shaking. And he goes to the director and they butt heads about this because he says... Yo, you need to get her out of the water because she's quite uncomfortable and you can't treat people this way. And the director said, why don't you do your job and let me do mine? Right. And he said, "Okay, well, if you don't get her out of the water and warm her up because she will get sick, I walk. We got her out of the water. She got sick anyway. She got hypothermia. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's stuff like that that just. I love hearing shit like that, even if it's like. <laughs> I think that speaks to the duality or the reason that we can be normal functioning people in a, in the world but still have this dark side into why we love horror. Mm. This is a man who is portraying a psycho killer who kills people in the most heinous ways yet has the <laughs> has the wherewithal to say, "Excuse me, this woman is literally freezing to death. Save her or I walk off the set." Talk about, talk about huevos. Well, just the, the total professionalism. Like I said, I kind of mentioned this to you. He didn't even want to be credited for this. This was just another gig, another job. He doesn't have the fandom of Jason. So he's just a professional. And the fact like that story where he just takes care of his, his fellow actors, because yep. he's going to move on to the next gig. He doesn't give a shit that he's Jason in this, but he does a great fucking job. Kills like it. one of your, this is probably your favorite this Jason. Is my favorite. And I know what I'm saying, folks. I mm-hmm. know that when you think of Jason, you should think of Kane Hodder. That's totally fine and warranted. And you know what? Kane is awesome. Mm. But to me, hearing that, and I'm not saying that Kane didn't have moments like that. You know, I've just researched these right now. But for me, I just love everything about this, Jason and Ted White specifically and his portrayal. And he was approached to come to return, Mm -hmm. to come back. And he turned it down because he was doing other gigs or he was just like, no, I just don't want to. But he's actually said uh, hindsight being what it is, I wish I would have come back from. Really, he even says he's like I would have, I should have come back. 
Yeah. He's like, it was a, it was a blast. And he got such a kick out of chasing, you know, you just, it's about hearing like a, a man that you, you look at him and you're like, all right, this man owns a steel yard or this man, <laughs> you know, is yeah. a lumberjack or something. He's just like, got that sort of grizzled sort of delivery and drawl and stuff. And he's just talking about, he's like getting such a kick out of the little things. It's like you, he never grew up and that's okay. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, I get to play and chase people. And I love that shit. Yeah. And I, I, we've talked about this before too, but there's something so iconic about the way he moves as Jason. And it's a different Jason from the Kane Hodder that we get later on. It's a totally different kind of Jason. We get a rebirth of Jason. So this one I've said to you, there's an iconic moment to me where he throws one of the twins out of the window. Oh yeah. And he's just so hulking and big and stretched out. And he kind of almost has this like Frankenstein arms out sort of a thing. And that's what I see Jason as like that is, and it plays so well with uh part three. Cause he's got the same ensemble, the same mask and it just, it's an evolution from three and I just love it so much. So I, you're, I, you're right. I do love this Jason. Maybe one of my favorites. I mean, he did say that he did the work. He said, when I got the gig initially, I turned it down. But then after that, I, when I accepted it, decided to watch all the Jasons before, see how they moved and made the decision that I wasn't going to play them that way. I was going to mm. play them my own way. And what a way. Yeah. yeah. Because that's not, that's rare, man. That's rare that you get a Jason three installments in who then becomes your favorite. Whereas in maybe the Halloween franchise, people don't and have not moved on from Nick Castle saying that he was the best portrayal of Michael Myers. Right. So different strokes, I think for different folks as it goes, but we have set the table and we have to talk about if I am saying that these movies, one, two, three, four are its own little group. The final girl from part four. Okay. Trish. Mm-hmm. Where does she stand, Lance, for you against the final girls from part one, Alice, part two, Ginny, part three, Chris, and now her? I would put her like third. Ooh. Yeah. I really like Chris. Yeah. Uh, so you have Chris as your top probably probably yeah i'll tell you man i think they're all so different obviously and i think i can find something that i like about all of them Mm -hmm. uh like three and four alternate chris and trish alternate for me i just there's something about her protecting her little brother that i've always just really enjoyed and loved as far as the aspect of the of the plot yeah. and her portrayal. I also think her choices are as an actor are so they hit they hit me, you know, especially in that final chase with Jason. She's doing these like through her teeth sort of grunts. It's weird, it's it's hard to explain. You have to watch it, but also the idea that she's not a dumb final girl. None of them have been. Right. But there can be final girls who are dumb, who like, you know, trip or whatever, you know, that she takes on the challenge to protect her brother. And I I love that because at one point she sends Tommy away. I'm going to take Jason out of the house. He's going to follow me. I need you to leave. Run. Mm -hmm. Run as far as you can. And Tommy doesn't. And I just love that part where she comes in. She hears that Tommy is there and she kind of sulks down because she thinks she's got rid of Jason, who's just behind her this whole time, which is also very scary. And she's just like, 
Tommy, you were supposed to leave. Like, she's just like, I did the hardest thing possible up to date. And it was like, it, it could have gone up, you know, a very bad way. And it almost does because Jason is not dead and he's still there to get them. I think maybe because I, I don't know what it is. There's something missing with her for me. I will say she's probably a big inspiration on Rachel from Halloween four and five in the protection and all that kind of stuff. But I love Rachel Yep. and there's a lot of depth to Rachel. I don't see it here as much. Maybe there's just no progression of like, she's always got like all of our final girls have always had an eye out. Like what, what's that sound? What's mm-hmm. going on? Well, you know, like we don't really get that until like, okay, shit's happening and go. And you know, I appreciate that as well, but there's just something kind of missing I understand. And, I mean, she definitely kept the lineage of most of the final girls and being blonde. You know, I think yeah. Alice and Jenny and her of Chris was not. But um, obviously, there are different, you know, things well, that each one bring that you know speak to us differently. Right. I've always enjoyed. Maybe it's because I liked it when my brother would defend me from the horrors of the world. And maybe right. that kind of spoke to me a little bit. I don't know. I'm just talking about the depth. I mean, Jenny had the the background of ed- her education and, yep. you know, and all that. And then Chris uh, had an experience with Jason previously and yep. was kind of the broken girl. There's just, there's no backstory to her. So well, maybe that's why she just falls a little flat to me. It's not her acting. It's not the, the character herself. No. It's just a little bit of the backstory that's missing. Maybe would you say, and let me, let me just go off and make an educated guess here that she maybe isn't your cup of tea as far as traditional final girl, because she kind of shares the spotlight because she's not the final girl solo because then she would be the final sibling. <laughs> like uh, Tommy is really the one I think who strikes the final nail in the coffin. So right. to speak to, for Jason. Yeah. And it's Tommy's ingenuity or Tommy's, uh, you know, idea or weirdness that lets him say, okay, I have read these clippings because he goes into Rob's bag. He's read the clippings. He's seen that Jason has been hung. He's Mm -hmm. been shot. He's been stabbed. He's got it all and nothing has died. He's like, we're not going to kill this man with normal conventions. We're going to outsmart him. We're Mm -hmm. going to mess with his mind. So Tommy decides, why don't I, from this clipping of newspaper, go upstairs Chop off my hair, shave it really roughly, by the way. That hurt me. I'm like, how did you not cut yourself? But he basically transforms himself into a young looking Jason with the short shorts and the hair that's all, you know, patchy and stuff. And it actually fools Jason enough to where Trish can land a pretty, you know, uh, a pretty striking final blow and then Tommy finishes him off. So I think that's really cool about them too. So maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe. Yeah. I, I think there's something else in this that we kind of talked about is like, you're kind of throwing like maybe Rob is the killer or you kind of threw these things out there. And you're like, no, but it's Jason. Uh, also it's, it's Sarah. You kind of throw in as like, Oh, she's the virgin. Maybe she's the final girl kind of a thing. Like you kind of played her up as the traditional, they're, they're playing with the genre quite a bit in this movie and they're right in the middle of the thick of it. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting. Maybe that's what threw me off as well Is like, you have two groups of people this time, very different from each other. Yep. And you end up saving the Jarvis family for the most part, except for Mrs. Jarvis. 
So yeah, maybe there just wasn't as much focus on her. There's just not the traditional, you know, tropes. Sure. But But if I then am going to say, Lance, that this is my favorite movie for all those things, I still haven't even talked about the reason it is my favorite because of how scary it is. Okay. Part two has a very scary part where Jason is running up. <laughs> yes. I, right. oh, it's so terrifying. Yeah. Part three is a lot of scary parts. Part four has. <sighs> this part is so this scene, this death, it like it scares me each time. It's Rob's death mm-hmm. in the basement. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. I just. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned this. I think it stands out to me so much because it just, it would read different on a, on paper. It would read right. different on a script if I, if I saw it. So Trish and Rob are investigating the cabin across because, you know, stuff has happened. And uh, Rob has definitely saw Jason at this point because Jason broke his rifle. So. Um, Rob and Trish are looking through the house and they go down in the basement and because they hear something and when they're going back up the stairs, Rob's foot busts through the stairs and it's Jason basically grabbing at him or maybe his foot just busted down and you know, he has to, anyway, Rob and Jason start tussling. Mm -hmm. It's different than when Paul and Jason tussle in part two, this tussle, this fight is one sided. Yeah. Rob is getting the dog shit beat out of him so much, but it's not just that it's when Jason starts stabbing him with whatever he has. It's not a machete. Uh, He just starts. You can't see it. It's happening in the dark, really. And Rob is yelling at Trish to leave. He says, Trish, run, Trish, run. He's killing me. (laughs) I just... I'm saying it and it gets a giggle because it's kind of weird. But when he does it, it's terrifying. Imagine what a person must be going through to be yelling that that's your final thing. You've as a man, as a hulking man that Rob is, you've been humbled immediately by a bigger, stronger, larger entity or man. And he is coming to terms with that in real time and knowing that his final moments are are happening right in front of him and he knows that they are and mm. he's yelling he's kill I just it kill it it kills me honestly but it scares me man because I don't know what Jason's doing to him really I yeah. can kind of see it it's dark you really you do see Rob's face but he's screaming it and it just sends chills down my spine each time that is the one big scare of the movie and it's the way it's shot for me it's and you made a great point about his reaction and i never really thought about it in that way but it's the way it's shot because it's so real to me of like you go down into the basement there is one shred of light you know from that little tiny basement window and it it just reminds me of like being terrified of my brother and sister hiding in the garage you know, and I'm like, what's that sound? And thinking that nothing's out there, but it's a garage. So it's always dark. Yep. And you go out there and there's somebody there and they start wrestling with you. And then you realize like, oh, fuck, this is a guy I was hunting and now he is killing me. And yep. it's it's terrifying because it's the most realistic to me. It's not gory. It's no. not a typical Friday the 13th kill. It's more realistic. And that's what makes it frightening to me. Yeah. Kudos to that moment, man. They shot it very guerrilla style as far as the lighting. 
Jason's giving us his back. You just mm-hmm. see his motions. It's a little bit of Hitchcock, uh, where you're seeing the de- the the killing device be raised into right. frame and then out of frame, kind of like Chucky too. But anyway, <laughs> Rob, you imagine that he got killed in the worst way because Trish does run away, but she's like, "But no, I my I I want to I need to help him or mm-hmm. I need to help." So I like that moment in her that she says. I need to do something. I can't just run away. I need to know, is he okay? Or I need to try to save him. So when she goes down there, you see Rob's lifeless body. And you're like, oh, dang, we'll never know. Well, we do see Rob again because Jason throws him through the fucking window yes. <laughs> to scare the shit out of Tommy and Trish. Oh, man, that part is... is t- and then Jason, Ted White, just barrels through the front door, which is the gif gif of, I think, the franchise. Yeah. It, well, it's that one. And it's also him breaking through the glass to grab Tommy. Yes. Which Corey Feldman has said to date is the most scared he's ever been, period. <laughs> I can imagine, dude. Yeah. He said that dude. is the most scared I've ever been, period, because they didn't really tell me it was coming. And even if they did, I it's terrifying that, you know. I wanted to get me. And that's the thing is put yourself in the, in the shoes of being a little brother, little sister and uh, your older brother, older sister starts wrestling you and overwhelms you. That's the feeling of Jason, but he's going to kill you. You know what I mean? Yes. And that's the thing. You're like, like, okay, they'll let me go eventually. But once Jason gets you, you're like, oh shit. But imagine like, remember being overwhelmed when you were a kid by an older kid or your brother or sister or whatever it was. Just remember that feeling and then put on top of it that it's Jason and he's going and he is killing you. You know, I mean, just his intent. So we're got, we're getting to it. It's the final, final showdown basically. And it's just Trish and Tommy and Trish and Tommy are, you know, they're in the house. Trish leads Jason away so that Tommy could run away, as I mentioned. But Tommy decides, no, I, I can't leave my sister. So he starts cutting his hair, starts shaving it off, starts to go through this metamorphosis. I mean, like, what? just the balls on this kid, too, man. And just be like, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to be helpless either. We're going to do this together. And it's cool, man, because Corey Feldman, as a little shit, pulls it off. Yeah, the idea of it is funny to me. It's like, my sister's getting chased by this fucking huge goon downstairs. I'm going to shave my head real quick and see if this works. Like, couldn't he just throw on one of his masks? But how about, <laughs> right? But how about the idea that she, That's ne- that he, ne- yes. So we are also watching this in real time. Trish got back to the house. That part I already said, Tommy, you were supposed to leave. And she knows that Jason's behind her. He's just walking slowly. And she just grabs a machete and starts swinging at him. And there's that that still aspect is there where he's like, okay, this yeah. will hurt. So I'm going to dodge it. But, you know, don't hit me. But she does. She gets him good right in the hand. Saws it in half pretty much. And she's definitely not going to take it anymore. And she is giving him the business. But, you know. He's Jason. It's not going to, you hit him with the machete. He's not going to go down. That's another thing that was terrifying to me about this. Jason is that he, when he changes pace, yes, he's not Michael Myers. He doesn't have one gear, which is first gear. He oh, yeah. has gear four and five and six. Well, Michael and got into second gear in part six when he was going after the orderly to push him through the grate. Okay. What? But 
I'm just saying he can shove it all the way down to gear one. And you're like, Oh <laughs> shit. He's creeping around the corner. That's you right. know, like that's right. That's what kind of makes Jason terrifying to me is he has these different gears that he can hit. I do appreciate that they did not scrap pretty much every aspect of Jason that has already been introduced. Right. Because he does pin Trish down and you think there may be another Chris situation. Yeah. Because uh, he's not killing her right away. She's struggling, but he's not killing her because he can. He's that strong. So he's got her, got her pinned down and Tommy comes down from the stairs, gets his reaction. And Jason is overwhelmed with confusion. He walks up to Tommy slowly Try me, you know, I'm looking at the man in the mirror or something. <laughs> well, because Tommy got Jason's attention, Trish is able to get up, grab the machete, take a swipe at his face and hit his mask off, slice it off. And boy, do we get treated to a face. Jason has now aged from the boy who was deformed and now not only has st- still maintained his deformity <laughs> yes but has a gash through his head from the axe yeah and is he's very gross to look at well as he slowly starts stalking a very distraught trish who's crying with terror at this point because this man has been chasing you all night with this mask which is scary enough but we sliced the mask off and you got even scarier yeah you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, shit. There's so, a reason you wore the mask. No yeah. shit. So yeah. Tommy says, uh-uh, this is over. Gets the machete, thwacks Jason right in the head, and it slices his head in half. And Jason, really cool effect. Yeah. When he falls, falls down. To the ground, yes. And the machete, like, Slides through, yeah. Which I always thought I went through his eye. I was like, well, how the hell does he get his vision down the road? But it's right under his eye, actually. No, he gets his like, head sliced in half. Like but the bone. worst part about it is that you're like, are you freaking kidding me? His hand starts twitching. <laughs> and this is the part that I guess has left a lot of controversy for the parts to follow. Tommy sees the twitch and... Kind of like the mom picking up the car when they she sees her kid pinned under yeah. it. Tommy takes that moment to protect his sister and starts hacking Jason into pieces. Starts slashing him very well with the machete. It goes to a slow motion shot where he keeps screaming, die. And it's you see it in Corey Feldman's face. Like, what a what a cool little dude you could see it in him that he wanted this to happen he was he's like i'm gonna get you i'm gonna get you he also kind of looks like pugsley from adam's family when he's trying to be uncle fester but why do you gotta do (laughs) shit like that (laughs) he does come on over here well he does it's a a great scene but that's what he looks like he does all right so (laughs) you know it fades out they go back you know fades out into the hospital trish is in the hospital bed and you know she's getting treated for i think she you know she fell out of the roof so she's kind of concerned with the deputy and the doctor as to what happened with her brother why did he just do that anyway uh the doctor explains to her it's perfectly natural he went through a traumatic experience and this was his way of defending you it's all good Okay, everything's nice then. So, can I see my brother? Yes, but only for a minute. And I was like, oh, so the, the brother and sister survive. Right. What a nice moment, Lance. He's standing in the corner, very creepily, by the yeah. way. Oh, God. But he's just standing there <laughs> waiting for Trish to see him. 
He runs over to her. He's so scared and he's so happy to see his sister. They hug. What a nice embrace. He's still got patches of hair on the back of his head. And there is a final close up of his face embracing his sister. So happy. And then his eyes go open and dead. And it freezes on him to suggest that the Jasonness has been passed on to young Tommy Jarvis. Oh, yeah. And, and that is Friday the 13th, part four, the final chapter. I, if I was that kid in the hospital, I'd be like, can you please shave the rest of my hair, please? <laughs> <laughs> right? Come on. What was cool about that effect, though, is that like they decided we're not going to shave these luscious locks that Corey Feldman has because he has some really good looking hair. Yes. Yeah, I had to talk about hair. Yes. They put a, a ball cap on him. Oh. Well, when you put a ball cap on that much hair, yeah, it's going to be a big head. So Bulbous. yes, he has a pretty big chrome dome with dome head L flips. Anyway, that's my second Ninja Turtles reference. Good job. And it's him saying it. Yes. Oh, wow. Good job. I feel pretty Danny. good about myself. I, I'm sure that you do. <laughs> All right, Lance. What's our final body count? Final body count. You want me to go through the entire list or just give you the count? Uh, Yes. All right. Pick your poison. Uh, we have 13, technically 14 deaths, but we'll go through the 13th corner. Alex or Axel, excuse me. Uh, nurse Robbie Morgan, the hitchhiker, Samantha, Paul, Terry, Mrs. Jarvis, Jimmy, Tina, Ted, Doug, Sarah, and Rob. And technically our 14th is Jason Voorhees. Wow. So besides Jason, that would be 13 deaths. Yes. Friday the 13th death. Very nice. I, so, do, I yeah. do appreciate that little Easter egg. A fun thing is that you said it was filmed in January. The idea was that this movie would come out in October, and they said, screw it. Let's get this thing out in uh, April. What? Yes. Holy Because holy. we have a Friday the 13th coming up in April. Let's get it out. So uh, the filmmakers, the editors, and everything were basically crammed in Malibu and just trying to get this thing edited and put out within two or three months. What a, so. t- what a place to be crammed in. I mean, I hope it was a nice place in Malibu. At um, least you could see the ocean. Is there a bad place in Malibu? Yes. Yeah, there is actually. Yeah. <laughs> now that I think about it, yeah. <laughs> I believe they were on the beach, though. So, yeah. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to be crammed in with all these like elements, and like I have so much respect for everybody that's involved in filmmaking and mm. just any sort of mass-produced entertainment an editor's job, holy moly, they are, they're the unsung heroes, but how, like, a lot of editors are given total freedom, yeah. do this, I want this, but, like, make this happen. Mm. You know, a lot of editors don't get credit, so, like, you know, I appreciate producers and editors and everyone behind the scenes, especially my co-host here, who does a lot of the <laughs> stuff that uh, I don't know how to do. It's- I can drag and drop. What do you think? It, it sounds great, right? <laughs> it's interesting because we have produced quite a few of our own little things. We're doing more. We haven't put out yet. But it's been interesting to work with actors and actresses that have never seen the editing process, have never done the direction process. So when you give them a scene, they're like, but where's this ending? Where's this going? And you have to like explain, like, can, can you not see it in your head what the next shot is? Like, yes. No, be, I don't know. Be inside my brain with me. Yeah. Be so there. Yeah. when we direct, when we write, when we edit, it is a totally different process. Like when I direct a scene, I know what's happening next. So I will direct you in the direction of the next scene. Yep. But the actor doesn't know that. I I have a totally new respect for acting. And I mean, especially if you shoot it out of of sequence. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's everyone is important and everyone can be either pleasant to work with on set or Mm -hmm. a complete dick 
Uh, one more tidbit about the actors themselves. Um, Tim White. Is that, did I get that? I've been Ted. saying Ted White, the actor who, stuntman who played Jason, loved everybody except one person on set. Well, two technically, but oh, well, he came yes. to love it at the other. Yes. But the, but the real one that stands out, he could not stand Corey Feldman. He said a little shit. I wanted to get him the whole time. Wait, he didn't like Corey either? Yeah, he says that. He's, <laughs> I, he's like, he's like he, he pretty much kept to himself so that he, he's like, I'm a psycho killer. I have to be killing them. I'm not going to go eat lunch with them and chum it up with these actors so they won't be afraid of me when mm. the time comes. Like, what a pro, right? As yeah. far as like maintaining that sort of professionalism to an art form. But yeah, I don't know if it was tongue in cheek, but they definitely say it in um, Crystal Lake Memories. He was like, I just I couldn't stand him. Wow. You know, uh, Tommy or Corey Feldman does confirm it. He's like, yeah, I don't, we just didn't get along. But and I think it's just the fact that he was an older dude and t- Corey Feldman was probably being a kid. Yeah. There, there's a lot of stories about Ted White kind of clashing with other people. Another one I mentioned to you was Tom Savini. Right. And then he kind of realized that he found out that Tom had done stunts and understood stunts. So yep. when he was designing things, he was designing it for the stunt. And Ted's like, oh, a little hard eyes, you know, like, yeah, okay, yeah. we can be cool. Let's go get a beer. You I know? think that's uh, that, that speaks truth to a lot of like, I guess, alphas in the business, yeah. if you want to call them that. When you see yourself kind of represented across and you can respect that and not be a judgmental or jealous piece of, you can work with that person and create some really cool things. But, you know, doesn't happen all the time. You know, you crash, you clash with directors and, you know, some directors are terrible to work with, as is uh, evident in maybe the next installment of Friday the 13th that we talk about. Because it is not the final chapter, folks. The... Jason Slashathon lives on. That's right. With a new beginning. Danny, how many machetes do you give Friday the 13th, part four, the final chapter? So I have said that this is my favorite Friday of the series. So I'm going to give it four and three quarter stars. You're not giving it a five? What? It's weird. It's weird, man, because it's like I... I think I have to respect the original and give it the five, but this one, ah, fuck all that. It gets a five. (laughs) There it is. This one will get a five on par, if not better than the original. There we go. All right. There we go. About time. I was so shocked and sad that you did not give this a five. If it's your favorite, it I, is I gave three a five. Cause it's my favorite. I will give this one a four and a half. Very nice. Cause it's very close. Um, just misses the mark just a little bit. I think you bit. talked. I think I, I know where it is for you. You said it. It's a. It's maybe the disconnect in the final girl or something like that. Yeah, and yeah. it's just like the way Jason shot. I think in the beginning. I think I had so much fun with three. I wanted a little more of that in this, but I really loved some of the characters. I love a lot of things about the movie. So four and a half for me. I don't think we've agreed besides Halloween on you know our favorite of the franchise being what it is. No, but yeah, that's the only one we've agreed on. <laughs> Because even the sequels, we didn't agree. No. So yeah, we've, we're one for 14,000 or whatever, how many I we've talked about. we're on episode 35 or something now. Yeah. So yeah. It's all right. We'll, we'll find another one. All right. That's Danny. I'm Lance reminding you to lock your doors, bolt your windows. And where the hell's the goddamn corkscrew, Ted? And join us next time in our Slasher's Paradise. No way. Hey, 
Did you hear anything you like? Thanks for listening to Slasher's Paradise tonight. Did you know that you can watch our podcast? Where? YouTube.com. If you go to YouTube.com, look up Slasher's Paradise, you'll find the Dead Candy page. And there you can see all of our podcasts, as well as a few shorts that Danny and I have put out. While you're there, please subscribe. And while you are listening here, go ahead and find yourself that rate and review button. Five stars is what we would love for you guys to give us. And you know what? If you can't think of anything to say in the review, why don't you go ahead and put some recommendations and or requests of horror movies that you would love for us to talk about. If you'd like to find out more information about Slasher's Paradise or Dead Candy, the producer of our show, you can head over to facebook.com slash Fix. That's D-E-D, Candy Fix. Here's to you guys. This is Slasher's Paradise. Sorry, I had to work that in. And I'm going to drink on that.